This is the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the inside track on Liverpool FC's next opponents. With Liverpool flying high, they look to take one more step along the road to becoming Premier League champions. Coming next is the long trip down to Carrow Road to take on Daniel Farker's Norwich City. I'm Guy Clark. This is indeed behind enemy lines as we get the lowdown on the next opponents for Liverpool, in this case, Norwich City. Well, join us then as we get stuck into what's going on with Norwich, who of course head into the game bottom of the Premier League table. We'll discuss their exciting array of young talent and how likely there is to be a mass exodus in the summer should the Canaries be unable to save themselves from the drop. Plus, we've much, much more besides. Well, joining us to do all of that is a man who keeps a close eye on going-ons at Carrow Road. It's a warm welcome to freelance sports broadcaster Stuart Hodge. Stuart, thanks for your time. How are you keeping? Aye, not too bad, my friend. It was actually my birthday today and there's nothing I would rather be doing on my birthday, Guy, than spending it chatting with you about all things Canadian. So happy to do that. Well, we are thoroughly uh, delighted to have your company then on on your birthday. Happy birthday to you here from uh, Blood Red. But in terms of Norwich City... As I said, we spoke before the season began. Uh, I clearly remember at the time you saying Norwich had their way of playing and they got promoted through doing that. doesn't matter what results they'll get, they'll stick to it. They find themselves bottom of the table and somewhat adrift of safety in the Premier League, mm-hmm. but they are sticking to those principles. Well, it's, it's all they can do. I mean, they've got a way of playing um, that did work for them last season. To be honest, it has worked at times this season as well. Norwich City have struggled with... I mean, there's been an element of bad luck. We've had one fit central defender for pretty much the entire first half of the campaign. You can point to perhaps um, maybe another one should have been recruited. But there was there was a litany of injuries, a few sort of unforeseen things that I, that I don't think anybody could have, could have bargained for coming into the season. So that, that was a big factor, first off. And I think, secondly, there's been maybe a bit of a naivety, a bit of a soft-centeredness about Norwich City in a few games. If you actually look at games against the, the, the so-called top teams, obviously beat Man City early on in the campaign um, and were lauded for that, um, played well against the likes of Chelsea and Arsenal and, and, and things like that. But I think it's against the, the teams that you would expect Norwich City to to beat or, or to be competitive sort of against that in and around them. That's where Norwich City have have really struggled this season and that's been the, the the problem really I think also that Man City defeat I think a lot of teams saw what Norwich City do and put in sort of contingencies in place and, and sort of worked out how to counter that and I think that has been um, at the root of many of the problems as well I know it'd be easy to say, but obviously from our point of view, looking at from the Liverpool perspective, the opening night of the season, the 4-1 win at Anfield, I suppose that's been a bit of a microcosm for Norwich's season, has it? Because they got beaten and in the end it, it was well beaten, but they got a lot of plaudits from that game. I know it was all the way back in August, but when they had the ball, they caused problems for Liverpool, but both penalty boxes, perhaps not for the Premier League, quite efficient enough. Yeah, I think that's spot on. Um, that that was a game of, like, get the cliche in there, it was a game of two halves. Norwich City, I think, looked daunted in the first half. But in the second half, um, they, they played a bit more like themselves. And I, I thought they played they played pretty well in the second half. I remember Jurgen Klopp after it was, as ever, he was good value. He said, ah, oh, Daniel's team is cheeky as hell. And um, I think that's actually a really good description of it. Norwich do play quite a, an impudent, cheeky style. Um, but 
yeah, penalty boxes is a, is a very good point to make. Um, Timu Puki has, has been excellent. Um, a few others have checked in with the goals. I was evangelising um, about M. Buendia, and I still think he's, he's had a really good season. Um, there's actually been rumours of Liverpool interest in him um, in a few of the papers at times. Um, and Emmy has had a really good season, but what he's not done is he's not scored goals. And that has been a big problem for Norwich City. Todd Cantwell's had a, a good goals return. Timo Pukki's had a good goals return. But in terms of goals coming from other areas of the of the pitch in the team, that, that's been a bit of a problem. Um, prior to Andre Duda um, being brought in in January, it was pointed out that um, Kenny McLean was the only player that had scored. He'd scored one goal, and it was the only goal up until that point that had been scored from someone starting in the number 10 position. And if you look at that, you look at the fact that Boyndia is not scoring, that's basically two of your front four. And that's that's been a problem, obviously, at that end. Um, and then defensively, one fit centre back for, for for so long, Ben Godfrey just carrying the load himself. Um, Christoph Zimmer, it's actually ironic. Christoph Zimmerman and Grant Hanley are now fit, and I think Norwich for the first time in what seems like forever actually can make decisions about who they play at, at centre back. Um, but the, I mean, defensively, the, the it's been a bit better recently. But then there's obviously been problems scoring goals at the other end. So yeah, I think you you make that point. Penalty boxes are, are where it's key, and it doesn't matter what you do between the boxes; it's what you do in there, and that's that's where Norwich have fallen down. Yeah. I wanted to speak to you about sort of the, the, the individual starlets of the Norwich City team. We we know about Temu Puki and the attentions he's taken and the exploits he's even had with his country as well. But the youngsters, Buendias, Godfrey, Aarons, Lewis and Cantwell, those five, we'll take a bit of time talking about them. But in terms of just the overview of, of chatting about the five of them, Norwich are a side who seven points adrift of safety in the Premier League, yet they seem to be a team of these young individuals that everyone's still eulogising about how good they have the potential to be, despite, as I say, being cut adrift at the bottom of the league? I think there's a couple of factors in that. So firstly, it's the model that, that Stuart Webber, the sporting director, has built, where it's about sort of creating value. And, and that's that, that obviously involves bringing in young players from the academy, from elsewhere at a sort of cut price and creating value from, from giving them a platform to play. And a big part of that is by playing in Norwich City's style because Norwich City play the style of, of to be honest, a much, a much better, a much more sort of Premier League equipped team. So bigger teams looking at those players think, right, tactically, these guys have what it takes to, to sort of merge with what we're doing. It's not going to take a great adjustment for them. Um, and just to pick through sort of the names there, um, Max Ahrens, uh really, really good going forward, um, very dynamic right back. England obviously blessed with, with plenty of them at the moment. Um, Liverpool of Trent Alexander-Arnold, he's in a similar mode, maybe not in terms of the set pieces, but he's, he's got a lot of the, the sort of qualities that, that Trent Alexander-Arnold has going forward. Jamal Lewis has actually been out of the team quite a bit. Um, I think he's, he's arguably in many ways had... I think a more impactful campaign than than Max when he's been playing, um, but I think that might be because his qualities are more in the defensive side of the ball. And I, I think Liverpool that that was another name that was was kind of linked at one point this season with Liverpool. Um, and and he in in terms of for a team like Liverpool would be a player to be brought in as squad cover. But uh, but Jamal Lewis could could, could certainly potentially add something in, in that capacity. 
Um, Emi Buendia is a fantastic footballer. Emi Buendia will leave Norwich City for more money than they got for James Madison. I don't think there's any question about that. I think it could well happen this summer. And it would be nice to see him bang in uh, two or three, or if I'm being greedy, four or five goals before the end of the campaign, just to add another 10, 15 million to that price tag. Because uh, I think he's a football player. That he, he had a lean spell during this season where... I don't know, maybe just certain aspects, kind of South American culture, whatever, um, where he was just being a bit sort of petulant, maybe not chasing back as much, but that's gone from his game now. He's working hard in every single game and all that is missing is goals because he's got great awareness, great intelligence. um, He's got brilliant technique to play passes, the vision. Everything's there. Um, And it would just be nice to see him get get a few goals. Uh, And Todd Cantwell, I will stand up and admit I thought at times last season Todd Cantwell looked like he was struggling to impact things in the championship, but he's come up to the Premier League and he's a player, he's just a modern day footballer. He's totally, his game's absolutely identical for for what you would want from a Premier League player. He's intelligent. Um, He might not sort of be the strongest player in the world, but he's he's got great tenacity um, in, in certain ways and I think the key thing is he's got great technique that that combination of technique awareness intelligence it's, it's all of the, the sort of rudiments of a, a ready-made Premier League footballer and and yeah he's really surprised me this season and well done to Todd for that Are, are these players then with Norwich looking as though they are set for relegation that the club will look to cash in on because the, the club's not run with a benefactor model Stuart Webber coming in initially had come in to hopefully generate some money. You mentioned Madison being sold in terms of the club beginning to run out of parachute payments from the last stay in the Premier League. They've got back up now and they will obviously have that to fall back on. But financially, how dependent are the club on actually now perhaps having to to move some of these players on? Well, they're not dependent, actually. Even though the model's built around that, I think that's the key. So if you look at a club like Bournemouth, um, for example, they, they've done the thing where they've been in the Premier League a week while, so they now play, they pay pretty much Premier League wages to, to, to most, if not all, of their squads. So if they go down, they're going to have to have somewhat of a fire sale or get some, some major sort of cash injection to, to even sort of sustain themselves. Norwich City are running such a way that if we go down and keep the squad that we've got, then we're not gonna we're we're not gonna struggle to to keep the will from the door next season. Norwich City could pay this squad next season in the championship and not have any financial problems whatsoever. That said, it's about creating value, and part of the part of the sort of way that the the club sell the the vision to to players is to say, look, we're you come here, we're going to give you a platform, and then if someone comes in with an offer that we think is commensurate for for what we value at. Um, then we will be happy to, to sort of let you go on and progress your career. And I think it's just a question of which players clubs are going to come in for and whether they meet the, the value. Because Norwich City are going to sell them in the cheap either. They know they've got players here. They know they've got, I would say, at least one handful of players that are going to go for more than £20 million. I think they've got a few that could go for more than 30 and and a couple that could, could even hit the sort of 40 mark. Um, and I think that's it's just a question of who comes in for who. I don't I'm not sort of got got major sources in terms of the, the kind of transfer dealings and stuff. I will attempt to find that out a bit closer to the end of the season, but I don't see the point now because it's the wrong time of year to find it out. But I do know 
that Norwich City will have interest on, on these players, have already done, will continue to do, and I would expect to see at least three or four faces go out the door for big fees in the summer. Behind Enemy Lines on the Blood Red Channel. Fascinating models, you say, that, that Norwich have exploited, set up and, and are now running at the club, certainly under Stuart Webber. And interesting, you say there, obviously the, the club won't hold the players to ransom on the transfer fees they have for them because it's the whole lure of bringing the players through at Norwich. But at the same time, they're not going to just be beaten up in the transfer market and let players walk out the door for what they don't consider would be fair fees. Yeah, I think that's key because there's no point in creating value if you're then going to sell them on the cheap. And and interestingly, though, I mean, if you think of someone, it's it's about stages in their career as well. So if you think of someone like Temu Puki, he's been uh, the, the headline guy for, for Norwich at lots of stages this season. But at the stage of his career he's at, would he rather go to a team like Liverpool, just for, for argument's sake, say, but I think that's going to happen. But if he was to go to Liverpool, he would feature maybe in the odd cup game and sort of off the bench occasionally, whatever, right? Um, not that I don't, I, I don't actually think he suits what Jurgen Klopp would want anyway, but I'm just using this as f- uh, for argument's sake type thing. Would he rather do that or would he rather stay at Norwich City, a place where he's loved, a place that allows him to, to sort of score goals, get his game sort of optimised for when he goes away in international duty, which means a lot to him. And would he rather stay and and just stay in a situation that he's comfortable with? Or does he want to, is is there going to be an option that comes along that allows him to push himself in a way that he wants? Perhaps he might want to play Champions League football again before his career ends. You know, there's there's a few different things. But I don't think Tamey Pookie is going to leave to go and sit on a bench somewhere. It's too late in his career for that. So it's a question of what options come up for players as well from their perspective not just the the club in terms of whether they want to sell so there's there's a lot of sort of moving parts in in any one of these kind of potential sales or 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 what Norwich would be looking to do in the in the trading sort of stakes well yeah there's plenty of interest in the Norwich players and we we've spent a good deal there talking about the transfer chatter but we best get into the matches and the the form that Norwich find themselves in because despite being bottom of the Premier League table. Just looking at the last three fixtures, they've kept two clean sheets during that time. Draw, obviously, against Newcastle before this mid-season break. And they've also beaten Bournemouth in that time and lost 2-1 narrowly away at Tottenham Hotspur. It does seem as though you mentioned that defensive central area was a real problem position. It seems as though Norwich are beginning to get their act together, albeit maybe just a touch too late. Yeah, uh, and it's a shame that the... The, the sort of defensive solidity is not being married with with being able to get goals. You could take every game in isolation, guy, this season. And, I mean, there's some where Norwich City have been well beaten, just not been at the races. And I think that happens for, for teams that come up to the Premier League. But I think where Norwich will, will sort of fall down and, and probably end up being relegated, as, as looks likely now, is in games where VAR has cost the team. I think you can. Everyone remembers the decision um, where Timo Pukki was like he wasn't offside. Yeah, they looked at it and created this sort of Venn diagram thing where eventually they concocted that he was offside after looking at it through about twenty thousand different angles. Um, I think that that's been a problem. There, there's been lots of situations in games where Norwich City have not got the points that their performances deserved, which again recipe for relegation. Um, but as you say, recently, uh, the, the Newcastle game, 
Norwich, I thought, looked a bit blunt up front in that game, but um, a bit more solid at the back. But I think they were probably the better team over the piece. Uh, there was a Burnley Cup tie as well. Um, Norwich City winning in there. A um, couple of good performances in the FA Cup, actually. Young Adam Ida uh, scoring a hat-trick at Preston, um, who's a club I know, I know you know well as well. Um, but then in amongst that, you've had games. Uh, we've actually done, you mentioned Bournemouth, done the double over Bournemouth this season. Uh, Spurs, um, we got a point in the game at home, narrowly beaten away. Again, creditable, respectable. But then in amongst all of that, you've got games like the 4 0 Old Trafford. Man United are, are more vulnerable at Old Trafford than they've, they've probably been in, in decades right now. Um, and Norwich City went there, just weren't at it that day. Um, and there have been there have been a few of those performances. Um, Aston Villa at home beat five one, you know games like that. And and those are those are the other games that have kind of kind of cost Norwich City. I think right now um, it's kind of it's, it's good coming into the game against Liverpool with a bit of sort of defensive solidity. We've obviously got as I say three fit centre backs for the first time since probably the start of the season. Um, it's, it's good to be defensively solid coming into this game. But look at Liverpool, man. It's a juggernaut. <laughs> Any Norwich City fan that's I think is expecting like to get beat and it's just a question of how many, in, in all honesty, even at home. Because um that this Liverpool team is is incredible. And and what is doing this season, it must be an absolute joy for you to, to, to be working sort of on the on the fringes of it because I think what Jurgen Klopp is doing, I think there's a good argument to say this is the best Premier League team ever. And I think if they carry on in the vein that they're doing, they're going to mathematically secure that that sort of status um, because it's, it's absolutely incredible. But Norwich City do play their best football, I think, and their style is best suited to games against the bigger teams that can be a bit more open. So I think we could see an absolute cracker on Saturday. And that perfectly, Stuart, brings us on to the next point I wanted to, to ask you about. We, we compared the, the model and the style of the two clubs pre-season before they met and concocted basically and drew the conclusion Norwich have this Liverpool-like mentality about them with the former Borussia Dortmund coach. They've Stuart Webber working away in the background like Michael Edwards mm-hmm. does at Anfield. And yet, for me anyway, I, I don't know how you feel about this, Norwich perhaps did one of the biggest favours in the whole season to Liverpool back in September. We've referenced it before, that 3-2 win over Manchester City, which despite what's gone on since surely will be the highlight of this Premier League campaign for Norwich. I'm hoping not. I'm hoping we go on an incredible run and manage to stay up. Um, and yeah, Premier League campaign's one thing. Like I'm very much enjoying the cup run. It's been a long time since Norwich have had one of them. Uh, but yeah, uh, that, that Manchester City game was absolutely incredible. Um, I think I'm right in saying that Otamendi and Stones haven't played together again uh, since that. I think I think we very much found them out that day. Uh, but yeah, I mean that was that was that was something brilliant. Man- Manchester City essentially getting beaten at their own game. There was there was a high press um, playing through the lines. It was just beautiful football. But as I say, it might have been a <laughs> counterproductive thing for Norwich because everyone looked at that and went, "All oh, right, so that's what they do. We know how to counter that." So yeah, um, great great memories of that game. Uh, and I think Norwich City actually, if we if we do end up going down, as we say, looks likely. I think we're going to be one of the most popular relegated teams. I think loads of people will say, oh, that Norwich City team is such a shame they went down because they, they really went about it the right way. Um, and yeah, I think even if we do go down, I think the club, regardless, and this is where 
there's real trust in, in that structure you speak of with Weber and Farka. I don't think Farka will be will be jettisoned by the club if, if they get relegated or, or towards the end of the season or anything like that. I think uh, faith will be kept in the coach. I think even if four or five or even half a dozen sort of key names go out the door, I, I trust Norwich City to do the recruitment they need um, without spending a King's Ransom money-wise to... <clears throat> Excuse me. Be competitive again next season to 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 be at least sort of playoffs and and, and maybe even challenging for automatic promotion again. It, it would probably be quite a lot to to try and ask that the team do what they did last season and absolutely steamroll the division with style and panache. Um, but yeah, I think everything's in place for Norwich. The club's sustainable um, regardless of of sort of what happens trading wise. And I think the club has an identity, uh, has a way of playing, a way of going about it, and a way of going about their business as well. So all of those things sort of marry together to, to despite the fact we're cut adrift at the foot of the Premier League, it's not necessarily despair. Um, although I would avoid some sections of Twitter, that said. Um, it's, it's not all sort of doom and gloom, dis- despite the situation Norwich find themselves in. Yeah, and just a, a last quick one on that, saying about the despair. And whilst Norwich do go into this game bottom of the table, and Liverpool go in having only dropped two points, you mentioned two things through the chat so far. Firstly, that perhaps it will be damage limitation for Norwich, but on the other hand, actually, especially being at home, they play their the better stuff against the better sides. Some would mm-hmm. argue. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so yeah, it's not it's not going to be like uh, Steve Bruce. Like, let's just try and flood the penalty box and and hope that nothing deflects into the back of the net. There's there's not going to be that. Liverpool are going to get to to play their game, and Liverpool are always best in games where there's there's a bit of sort of punches getting thrown and that kind of thing. Not not literal punches. I mean, I mean the teams sort of going at each other. Um, that would yeah. be a spectacle, though. <laughs> as much as we don't condone violence. No, indeed, um, and it would be interesting. Like uh, I think Daniel Farker and Jurgen Klopp, I think for a, for maybe a charity boxing match or something, that that would make a really good bout. Um, although I'm not sure if they're quite in the same weight division. He's got quite a hefty sh- set of shoulders, Daniel Farker. Um, but yeah, like I, I think everything lends itself to this being a really entertaining game of football, mate. That's the the sort of key thing because I think Norwich will know that they didn't really equip themselves properly in that first half at Anfield. I think, as I say, they were they just seemed a bit daunted by the occasion. Um, but you get the impression, and and definitely his comments after that first game describing the team as cheeky. I think Jurgen Klopp's right into what Daniel Fark has done at Norwich, and I think that's also the reason that. Uh, I mean, there's been quite a few rumours of the Liverpool interest in the likes of, of Buendia. Um, I, I think, and this might be of sort of interest for, for the fan base to hear, Emi Buendia would, would make a great option for, for Liverpool. And I think he would add something to the squad, despite the fact he's not scored much this season. He's he's the kind of player, he, he's got the intelligence and, and, and the game, to be honest, I think, to, to be an asset to Liverpool's squad if, if that was a move that would be of interest. And it wouldn't surprise me because of that shared philosophy that Klopp um, and, and Farka and, and sort of coming through the, the Borussia Dortmund sort of factory, if you like, as you say, um, that mutual respect that's there means that he knows like that, that there will be a, more, a, a closer relationship should um, a move be be of interest to Liverpool because that, that's the way it works in football. If people trust each other, then things can happen more readily. 
Um, and, and that's that, I think that would, would potentially be key uh, moving forward. Yeah, certainly one to keep an eye on. And you mentioned the charity boxing match. I suppose something that might ensue that into to happening would perhaps be if Liverpool get a repeat of the last time they were at Carrow Road with Adam Lallana popping up with a ninth goal in the game to ensure Liverpool win 5-4 <laughs> again, because that was absolutely balmy. That was crazy. Jurgen Klopp lost his glasses in the melee after the winning goal, I think. Um, also like of, of interest, the sort of a Liverpool fan base, that was Stephen Naismith's Norwich City debut. And uh, it, he, he looked really good, I thought, in that game. But obviously, it didn't quite work out for him in the end. But yeah, to be honest, I think 5-4 might be pushed it a bit. But I expect there to be plenty of goals in this game. Or if not plenty of goals, then at least... Um, I expect it to be the kind of game, as a neutral, you would enjoy watching. I think it should be quite entertaining. And primetime viewing on a Saturday night, 5.30. Can't ask for more, can you? Certainly not. And can't ask you for any more either, Stuart. You've been absolutely brilliant value. And thanks a lot for for catching up with us again here on Blood Red. Um, It's been brilliant to, to pick your brains once more. No worries. Thanks for having us again, mate. And uh, in the unlikely event that Norwich City are in the league again next season, I'll be happy to join you once more. Freelance sports broadcaster Stuart Hodge with us here on the Blood Red channel. Well, don't forget, we'll be back after the match with our regular post-game podcast, your home for instant match reaction from Blood Red. Well, join us for that if you can, but keep across the Liverpool Echo for live match updates beforehand. Until next time, though, thanks for your time and your company here on Blood Red, but it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel.